0: Hi, and welcome to the 40 and Infertile podcast. I'm your host, Victoria, at 40 and Infertile on Instagram. I'm a fellow IVF patient, and this is where I share with you my fertility journey in my late 30s and 40s, while also providing you information to minimize your fertility struggles later in life. Hey everyone, this is episode 39 and today I am so honored to have my friend Nicole, a fellow IVF endometriosis and adenomyosis warrior on the show to share her story. On this episode, we're talking about four laparoscopies for excision of her endometriosis and we talk about what recovery was like for her since I feel like we don't really hear very often and I think so many of us who are having our excision surgeries are kind of just like Talking to each other to try and figure out what recovery is like, and there are very different recovery stories. And so, she and I share our two different recovery stories. Um, And we also talk about infertility at 40, what um, her experience has been like, um, finding the right doctor. And we talk about some other tools that might kind of help us along the way. Um, But we kind of just share um, our stories, and she um, shares what. Uh, it has been like uh, through her IVF cycles and her endometriosis surgeries. Um, Nicole was actually one of the first people I talked to about endo- endometriosis, and she was so supportive. And um, she introduced me to Kate at Endo blog. Uh, if you follow her, and I messaged her during my laparoscopy recovery, and she really helped me with recovery, what to expect, um, and kind of some things that were helpful for her during that process. And I figured, well, let's just bring this conversation <laughs> online for everyone else to hear and kind of see what that experience was like. And then, you know, you may or may not have this experience. Again, everyone's recovery is a little bit different. Um, kind of depends on so many factors, where your endometriosis was, um, your surgeon. So a, a lot of different factors will play into it. But it's just kind of nice to hear all the little different things that we have done to kind of help make recovery a little bit easier. As always, I would love, love, love if you would share this episode with someone who you might find, who you might think that would find this useful. Um, I'm grateful to have the support of monthly supporters. So thank you so much to your wonderful people who have helped um, kind of keep this podcast running. So I'm so grateful for those monthly supporters. I am also now a Pronomat affiliate. So if you use code 40 and infertile for your purchase, podcast listeners will get a special offer thank you so much for being here and for your support. I'm so grateful to all of you. Um, I hope that you continue to get value from these episodes and feel supported um, through your infertility path. It is not easy, and I hope these episodes help you feel less alone and provide you with some extra information that you need to keep fighting for your deepest desire. So thank you, everyone. Truly, 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 I'm so grateful. Um, Nicole is so amazing. She's kind and I love her honesty. So she will tell you like it is. So if you are wanting an honest opinion about something, um, she will give it to you. She's not shy. She will give it to you straight. And sometimes I think we really need that without, you know, any filters or anything, which is wonderful. Not in a bad way, obviously. I love Nicole. She's wonderful. <laughs> but, um, sometimes you kind of just got to hear it straight and I really, really value her honesty, Um, So if you're wondering about laparoscopic excision recovery, IVF in your 40s, and finding the right doctor and how she's navigated through all of this, then this is your episode. Just a quick reminder, I am not a physician, and the information provided today is for educational and informational purposes only, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So make sure that you consult with your own fertility doctor before choosing any medical therapies that may affect your fertility. Unfortunately, every person's situation is unique, and it is vital that you discuss your own personal situation with your fertility doctor to decide what is the best course of action for you. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. Thanks for taking time to chat with us. Thank you. Um, so I kind of wanted to start initially when we were chatting, and I don't actually remember how you and I got connected. <laughs> like I know it was on Instagram somewhere, but I don't <laughs> really know how it happened. It just kind of happened organically, I think. But um, I think, we, yeah, yeah, I think we started talking about. Oh, I think it was probably because we were both over forty. Um, and then yeah. I think we, when I started kind of figure out this endometriosis thing and then this laparoscopy thing, I really wanted to have a conversation about it because I think we started talking more about how you've had multiple surgeries. But let's kind of start in the beginning with the infertility part. So. When did you know that this was an issue? How did it all start? Like, let's start with your infertility story and then kind of navigate how that brought you to endometriosis.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of common for a lot of people. But yeah, I started trying to have kids when I was 32. Okay, And, you know, I was just being patient and everyone was like, just wait, it'll happen, Mm -hmm. you know, all the all the things. And I finally went to a doctor and they were like, oh, you're you're kind of old, like you need to go see um, like a reproductive endocrinologist. And I was like, Oh, okay. At 32. Yeah. At 30, oh, wow. Then they, well, I should say it was more like 34. Okay. And because I was kind of going through it a lot. And then finally they were like, Oh, you need to go see someone if this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. So I went and saw somebody at 34, 35, like in between. And, um, they were like, We're going to do a bunch of tests. And so they did all these tests on me, and they even did the HSG, and they saw that one of my fallopian tubes was blocked, but the other one wasn't. So it's kind of terrible, and I've, I have a lot of terrible stories around these kind of situations, which led me to kind of advocate and find other people with the same story, is that they told me the reason my tube was blocked is that I had an undiagnosed STD. And I, at that time, I had been in a 12-year relationship. So I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I was like, that's kind of impossible. Uh, and, you know, it caused a lot of rift between my ex and I at the time. And, you know, they were like, you don't have endometriosis. You don't have anything else. You're good. It's just this block tube. So we can either take the block tube out or uh, you can leave it and we'll unblock it. So I had a couple of choices. Um, and then I kind—I didn't like go for it right away. It wasn't like month to month. It ended up being like a year later, you know, like the years kept kind of going by. And also my ex wasn't really into having kids at the time. Like he stopped really wanting to try. So um we kind of gave up for a while and I just didn't deal with it. And I had a lot of pain though. And I ended up Going to the doctors a lot, going to a hospital once because my, I had like a really bad cyst pain, but they kept telling me that my pain was like from fibroids and that the bleeding was from fibroids. Mm -hmm. And did they see that on the HSG? Like, did they see fibroids before? They saw, yeah, they had pictures of my fibroids, but they weren't very large at the time. And they, and it didn't seem like it was inhibiting anything. Like they just didn't have I don't it's funny because looking back I'm like I feel like who was even looking at me (laughs) like why wasn't it appropriate and educational and uh why couldn't they diagnose me at that time um and so my ex and I ended up breaking up and so I kind of gave up on trying to have kids
0: Mm -hmm. when was that like how old were you at that point
1: I was 36 37 yeah. And so I was like, well, I guess this isn't for me. I'm going to just have to like let this go. And then um my best friend actually and I decided we liked each other. <laughs> we ended up <laughs> getting married and um I was like, all right, let's do this. And so we started trying to have kids in 2018. And in the process, I had moved from like I had even gone to gynecologist in L.A. And they were like, I remember this one doctor told me. Uh, oh, you don't need both tubes. You just need one. And that's how you can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, but I'm in a lot of pain. Like something's wrong. And I kept saying this.
0: Was it like pelvic pain or like period pain? Was it always there or did it like come and go? It came and went and it was definitely
1: both Um period pain. So I started having period pain when I was 26. And I went to a bunch of gynecologists and they were just like, oh, we see a tiny fibroid, but everything else is good. Um, so, and I had never even really heard of endometriosis. I, I had one friend with it, but I didn't really understand it. So flash forward to uh, 2018, I'm 38 and I went to see a doctor here. Well, we moved from LA to Nashville and I immediately saw a doctor here and, um, he was like, I have a suspicion you have endometriosis. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, I'm I love endometriosis. It's like my favorite thing to like work on. So we'll just do a laparoscopic surgery and I'll get all the endo out and you're going to be pregnant within like, you know, six months after surgery. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Great. You know? And so I went in for surgery and I came out and it was like the most devastating news I'd ever heard. He basically also gave up on me. He was like, you are too bad you have so much endometriosis everywhere, I can't even do anything about it. And you're never going to have kids. And you need to find someone somebody else. And I was like, Oh, my God, you know, Um,
0: was he a, a specialist surgeon? Like, was he an endometriosis? Like,
1: no, I mean, this is the thing is like, there's a lot of gynecologists out there that claim that they are, but, you know, they're not. And he was one of them. Uh, so, and I didn't really know where to go after that, especially when a doctor kind of dismisses you and is just like, good luck, you know? Mm-hmm. So I have one, that one friend who told me that she had endo. So I called her and was like, what do I do? And she told me to go see a therapist. And as kind as that is, <laughs> I was like, I don't, I I need a doctor. Like I need someone to help me.
0: Was her reasoning To help with the pain or was the reasoning like, do you know why? I think it's because like she's our age
1: and I think it's just because she struggled having kids. And so she thought since she knew I was probably trying to have kids, she thought that maybe I just needed to see a therapist to get over the fact that I wouldn't be able to have kids. That's like my thought process on it because she was just like. Kind of dismissive on a lot of other things and she didn't really know. And she kind of was just like, good luck as well. So I was like, wow, this disease is like, what am I going to do with it? You know, I basically started researching online and that's how I found Nancy's Nook. I found some other girls too, like through Instagram. And I think that's also when I started following Kate from Endo Girls blog. And I just kept asking and persisting on questions of like what I should do. And I researched other doctors in town. I went to see, I I think I've seen every gynecologist in this city <laughs> like, <laughs> and I've seen a lot of reproductive endocrinologists here. I've seen like three of them. I've been to two fertility clinics here. Um, but it's really hard because I'm, you know, I got this terrible diagnosis. They told me it was stage four. Um, I also have fibroids. I also have adenomyosis and I, I just don't know how they weren't able to find this when I was younger. Like this, all the signs were there and nobody talked to me about it. Like no one was like, Hey, there's this other pelvic disease. Maybe we should look at this. Nobody. And then it turns out like it's a full body disease and it's just, I guess you know, being a woman, they just don't care that much. I guess I started writing like everyone's comments that other doctors had like given me because I used to go to a doctor's office and I have a folder with all of my CT scans, blood work, all those things. And I'll go to a doctor and be like, here you go. You know, here's all the information. And I can tell if they're overwhelmed. Then I'm like, okay, we shouldn't actually continue this doctor appointment. Like, it's not going to work for either of us. Or they're like, oh, my gosh, give it to me. Yeah, let me see, you know. But it's really hard to find somebody who can help me. But so that I found, like, on Nancy's Nook, I found another doctor here in town who specialized in endo. She was, like, part of that. Um I don't know if you've ever been on Nancy's Nook, but she has a bunch of, like, research in it. Uh, her research is great. Um She also has like a list of doctors in every city that are accredited. But the only thing that you have to be a little careful of is that you, they don't let you give bad reviews. So I'm not saying like you should be able to like trash every doctor you see because you didn't get your results, but you should be able to be honest with like, Hey, this, I had a great experience, but I still ended up in pain, you know? Uh, so I think she's getting a little bit better. I heard somebody tell me she's getting better at letting that happen uh, because I did go to a Nancy's Nook doctor here in Nashville and I came out of that surgery in worse pain than I'd ever been in in my life. And before that surgery too, you know, I was researching and listening to a lot of women and their pain and their issues. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really terrible I'm glad I don't have that kind of a thing um and then after that surgery I ended up having like all those symptoms and so I was really kind of left crippled um and I'm kind of thankful it was during the pandemic because I couldn't move very well um and there was no way I was going to be able to go to a job like that I ended up finding I ended up finding like more doctors there's the doctor in Atlanta named Dr. Sinervo that everyone raves about, but he quoted me like some godly, crazy price that I couldn't afford. Um, So I just kind of felt really alone too in this process. Cause you know, you're like, okay, I've got this disease. I know how to cure it. There's excision surgery. Like who's the best doctor for this? But then it's like, I don't have that kind of money. And you're like, why are you charging people $55,000 or, you know, more or less, you know, like it didn't make sense to me and it felt kind of predatory. So I ended up finding a surgeon in Chattanooga who I've now been to twice. Um, this, So the he, this last surgery I had in 2020 he, he knows my last surgeon and he was like, she's really good at pelvic endo, but not extra pelvic endo. So, and he is pretty well known for like extra pelv or extra pelvic endo and he is really good at like bowels. So I was like, great. And so my surgery was 10 and a half hours because I had so much endometriosis mm. and. The thing that makes me sad is like the doctor previously was like, no, you're good. And when I told her I was in more pain, the only option she gave me was a hysterectomy. So, and I had been going through fertility stuff at the same time and having doctors be like, you're 38 or 39, you better get your eggs out right now or you're never going to have kids. And it was a lot of like struggle of like, well, do I just, how can I spend like, thousands of dollars on fertility when I have to also spend thousands of dollars on endometriosis. So it was really a difficult choice for me to make and ultimately I had to kind of push IVF in the back burner for a while. Which, you know, now I'm 32 at heart. Yeah. <laughs> <Plus 10>. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I know the feeling. I'm like 22 at heart. <laughs> right <laughs> it's like, but my ovaries are 85 yes
1: exactly yeah. yeah 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 so I don't know I guess that's a long story but that's how it all went down
0: <laughs> so you went to your was it your first or your second REI that said you had endometriosis or was it a gynecologist who said it was endometriosis Gynecologist. okay yeah had you done any cycles IVF cycles at that point or no I didn't Mm -mm. okay
1: I had done so I went to a clinic in LA that did um IVF and IUI Mm -hmm. they were the ones who did all the testing and they were like oh we're gonna do IUI for you and you'll get pregnant no Mm -hmm. problem um but
0: this is in your 30s right like your early 30s like 35 36
1: like on that process yeah and I also went to a clinic that just took so long because it was part of like a hospital in town that was really affordable so um yeah it just took a long time and and then also I was with somebody who like really didn't want to do it so but they were insistent that nothing was wrong with me um which really was like odd to me because if I was that bad three years later you know then I don't know it's hard to believe that no one could see anything
0: well and I think Um, I think also too with like some of these things in endometriosis, like the only way to know for sure is to cut someone open. And I think a lot of people are resistant to that. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, the only way we'll know for sure is we got to cut you open, right? And, you know, usually it's laparoscopic, so the cutting is small. But I think, like, it's just... Because they're like, well, there's no guarantee I could cut you open and, you know, still you could be the exact same. So it's like, I think it's risky because anything could happen. And then if you had, like... Deep infiltrating endometriosis or whatever in your bowel or something, then you could have a colostomy. It is like it opens up a whole new can of worms. And I think sometimes, and I can't speak for anybody, I have no idea if this is what, you know, the surgeons are thinking about, but um, I wonder if they're like, whoa, like. I don't know if we're ready to open this big can of worms to talk about all these possibilities because then people get freaked out and then they're like, well, I don't know. This sounds like a lot crazier than I was anticipating, right? Because I don't know if they had that conversation with you. Did they have that conversation with you when they talked about laparoscopic surgery?
1: No, not really. Not in the beginning. I will say, sorry, I should back up. There was two things that happened to me before I moved to Nashville and before I got the diagnosis is one is that my bladder stopped working one night. And so I had to be rushed to the hospital the next morning because I like literally couldn't pee. And so they just cast me and they were like, we don't know. You need to go see a bladder specialist. And I did. And they were just like, we don't know, but let's teach you how to self-cast. And that was like the end of that conversation. And then um, I also had, because I had kidney stones. So I'd passed a kidney stone and almost had sepsis. So I had to go to the hospital and it was kind of, terrible but they were really just like you just need this medicine and go about your day you're going to be sick for a good week and they also said we're more concerned about this large fist and I was like oh I have a really large fist they're like yeah it's so large that you need to go see a gynecologist and that's the gynecologist I went to that the doctor told me oh you only need one tube to get pregnant and she wasn't concerned about my um but it turned out to be an endometrioma, which is like one of the tell signs that you have endometriosis, so I feel like I was neglected a lot with my doctors because there was a lot of signs that they could have seen, like bulking uterus and this endometrioma I mean I feel like that's red flag for endometriosis,
0: so I'm thankful that I had found that doctor here, but when you were going through this and then the first doctor was like we'll try IUI or whatever and um it obviously didn't work right cuz you were having issues and then you you got to the endometriosis diagnosis still not having done any like IVF cycles right
1: Correct yeah At,
0: at what point did you do your first IVF cycle Okay what was your first IVF cycle it, it was after excision surgery or right Okay Yeah, right. That's what we think will happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, they'll just take my eggs out and then next month pregnant, you know, like, no, it doesn't, it didn't work that way for me.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, unfortunately, for a lot of the stories on the show, uh, it sounds a lot like that. We're like, oh, cool. We thought it would work out or whatever. And like, a bunch of us are like, four plus cycles in and going still trying to figure it out
1: <laughs> yeah and that's i've noticed this a lot within our community too because mm-hmm. you know i'm part of the endo community but i'm also part of the ibf community yeah and because i've been on here for so long i can see how all the people who are struggling in our age group and then all of a sudden they finally get a diagnosis and most of it is under yeah and it's kind of like this silent thing that I feel like so many people have and I feel like, I wish there was something else that you could like test for and I know there's that one test you can take Um, I forget what it's called I don't know if it's a blood test or if they take it from your. I think it's the
0: BCL6 Yeah. I have to double check but yeah. I, I think which, that's what that it is Is new? I feel like um, Since I've been like doing this which is like I don't know three-ish years I've I started hearing about it, uh, 2020, but that's when I like really like dug in to kind of figure out what all this was. Cause I did my first cycle in 2019. I had no idea what was going on. Cause I was like, uh, what's the big deal? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it can't that. be that hard. Like, what is there to figure out? I'm sure it's all fine. And I didn't even like, I, I wasn't even good enough to like research anybody. I'm like, uh, like my, uh, gynecologist referred me to you. So. I'm I assume you're good and I assume like how different could it be from doctor to doctor? I mean, come on. Right. Like it's all the same hormones. It's all like so that's in my mind. That was my thought process was like, well, how different could it be? It's it's I assumed it was the same recipe. I did not know that there are different protocols. I didn't know like all this other stuff. So I was like, Oh, it's probably fine. And so I didn't, I just didn't even look into it. And I just was like, Okay, that sounds good. Right. And then so I was like, I'm sure this will work out. And you know, but it was like a horrible
1: experience. (laughs) Like, but like, I do feel like that though. It happens to us. Yeah.
0: And the first one I was like, Oh, I wish somebody would have told me a little bit more or I wish I would have at least found this whole Instagram this little pocket in Instagram about like infertility way sooner had I known this little pocket existed I think I would have been much more prepared for everything moving forward so I'm like so grateful that it exists because like you know like people like you and me who talk about like our experiences and the good and the bad because there's it's not all bad uh it's not all good either (laughs) Like, it's probably more bad than good, but, um, but it's like good just to hear that. Cause I think, I feel like from our doctors, we don't ever get to hear that. So it's nice to hear people's experiences and stories around it. But like, yeah. So, cause I, I had always, um, wondered if I had endometriosis. Cause I'm like, my periods are kind of heavy. And when I was 17, like, I, so I, uh, so I was a competitive gymnast and, I remember thinking there were days where I I called in and said I couldn't come to practice because my flow was so heavy. And my coaches gave me a hard time because it's gymnastics. And you know, you're like, you come here to win. And it's all about the grind. And you like just power through, right? They're like, come on. And at the time when I was younger, my mom wouldn't let me use tampons. So I could only wear pads. And you have to wear a freaking leotard, Okay. When you have oh, flow like yeah. that hard, like, or that high and you have to wear a leotard, what like it's not going to work out. It's like, I'm not going into practice. I can't use the tampon. I have to like wear a pad. This is like not good. And so, um, like I would have heavy flow and then, um, there would be a period where I would just like bleed for like six months at a time, like just straight every single day for six months. And I, Ooh. yeah. And I would tell my mom, I'm like, uh, I think something's, not right. Like I'm still, it's been like two months, three months and still bleeding. She's like, Oh, it'll probably be fine. And then, so then finally I got to a gynecologist and I was 17 by then. So I didn't get my period until I was 15, I think probably cause I was active. And so I got my period at 15. It was kind of like, whatever, fine. And then right around 16, 17 is when it, I felt like I got heavy and I was just <clears throat> like, felt like I was leaking everywhere. You know, like I felt like I was always worried about my clothes. I was always, I was worried about going to school. I was worried about like where I would sit. I was just like, I was always worried that I was going to have an accent and I would have no way to hide it or whatever. Um, And then certainly because I was a gymnast, I had, I had to wear leotards. And so it was super cognizant of all of that. Right. And, um, so then I went through this period where I was bleeding for six months straight and I'm like, this is really inconvenient. (laughs) I'm like, this is not, don't even at 17, I was like, I don't think this is normal. So then finally my pediatrician, after she's like, take some vitamin C. I don't know what that was going to do, but she was like, take some vitamin C. So I did that (laughs) for like three months. I'm not kidding. I'm like, it's not changing my flow. My flow is still a lot. I'm still, I'm still bleeding. And then she's like, okay, go to a gynecologist. And so she sent me to a gynecologist. And this is how it plays out in my mind, whether or not, cause I'm 17, I have my concept of time is probably all jacked up. Right. This is how it, this is how I remember it. Whether or not it's true, this is my memory. My memory was I went to this gynecologist and we like growing up, I was super poor. And so um, we, we didn't have health insurance. And so um, we were on some type of assistance program or certain insurance and not everyone would take our insurance because of, you know, you know how it is. And so went to this gynecologist and I remember sitting in her office and she like, there was a desk in front of us and there was me and my mom. And I was really worried that my mom was going to be like, oh, Birth control? Are you doing naughty things? Like you know, like I was yeah, afraid yeah. she's gonna make that. I'm like, no, mom, I don't even know what that is. Like you know, like, like that was how naive I was. Like I was just so you know straight and narrow and everything. And so I showed up there, and I remember. It felt like a 10 minute visit and she just, I basically told her what the problem was. I'm like, I've been bleeding for like six months. I don't remember if I told her it was heavy before. I don't know that I knew to say that. And so from that moment on birth control, she was like, okay. And all she did was like, just need to put you on birth control and it'll fix everything. So I was like, oh, okay. So then from that moment on until, I don't know, it was that 17 until I was like 30 something. I was on birth control. Because that fixed, so the symptoms would have been non-existent because I was on birth control, right? So like you don't, you just don't know because your normal cycles aren't there. So I had no idea I had a problem until I started coming off birth control. I started coming off birth control. I'm like, those same worries started to come back the heavy flow like worried about my clothing worried about where I was sitting and then like during my periods when I'm sleeping I sleep on two towels because I'm so afraid that I'm going to leak everywhere and then same thing when I like sit on the couch I got to put two towels on and then as soon as I come home I have like my heating pad on and then I take Motrin because if not I'm going to wake up in the middle of night with back pain and like pelvic pain because like, like middle of the night, usually like two, three a.m. Like I wake up and I'm like, oh, like this is uncomfortable. And then I remember I was talking to one of my friends and she's like, uh, that's not normal.
1: <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was
0: like, well, isn't that just like period stuff? Like, don't people just get like back pain? And she's like, I have never woken up from my period cramps. And I was like, but maybe because yours aren't that bad. And maybe like I'm just on the like, w- like worst part of the spectrum like because we never talk about our periods anyway so we don't really know what's normal or not right we just know we get yeah. them mm-hmm. right and so then it was like I was like oh hmm. and then so I started looking things up and I, I was listening to podcasts at that time because um, this was like later um, so it was like well into my infertility stuff and I was like wait a minute this sounds like endometriosis <laughs> I'm like but now nah, it's pr- like they probably would have talked about it if if it was something people were concerned about. So it's probably, that's probably not it. And, and like, I didn't want to be that person to like, be like, Hey, I really think it's this. And like, can we like do something about it? And it may come because of that whole surgery thing. I didn't know at the time that surgery was the only way to um, find it. But like you said, I'm now almost 42, like in one month, three months, I'll be 42. Right. And I just confirmed diagnosis last month, right? Like 41 confirmed diagnosis last month. And I've already gone through four IVF cycles. You know what I mean? And, and I get what you're saying. It's like, I wish there was a way that it's like part of the screening that you could check for it. Because like, even though I was uncomfortable, I still went through my day. Like, like, like I said, I came home, did the heating pad. Like I was, it distracted me at work, but not enough for me to stop working. Like I never stayed home from work. I never, you know, but I woke up in the middle of the night because it was uncomfortable and I had to take like Motrin, you know, to kind of get through the night and then definitely to get through the day. But I wasn't like that story where you go into the ER because it's so bad. Like I was just like it bothered me. But I'm one of those people who just kind of like, well, I'll just kind of tough it out. It'll be fine. And I handle pain mostly OK. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to complain a whole lot. And so the only way we ended up figuring it out is because I had this hysteroscopy kind of that went bad. And he was like, your anatomy is just so weird. Like your anatomy is just not right. And I was like, okay, then let's just freaking do it. (laughs) Like, let's just like do the endometriosis excision surgery. And, and he was like, still like the surgeon that I had still kind of waffling back and forth. "Uh, Maybe, maybe not. And, And he like tried to scare me. He was like, This is, that's when he was talking about the deep infiltrating endometriosis. He's like, you may end up with a colostomy bag. And I was like, okay, are you trying to talk me out of it? Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I was like, are you trying to talk me out of it or not? And I didn't know anything. Like I had not, like I had kind of dipped my toe into like the endometriosis world on Instagram. But then I was like, well, everyone's telling me that's not really a problem. So then I like backed out and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'm just clouding my brain with all this unnecessary information for me, it's not pertinent to me. So I probably don't have to worry about it. And so I did not know all of these things going into it. I was just like, I don't know. And then I really didn't know about endometriosis specific surgeons either. Fortunately, like my fertility doctor was like, you should try this guy with your insurance, try this guy. And I was like, okay. And because she, gave me and came from my fertility doctor and I really trust her then I was like okay I feel a little bit better about this but he was still like waffling and then he was still like you know you you could come out with a colostomy bag you could get like you know we could uh, there could be a bladder issue I could nick a nerve I'm like okay I still yeah like all like all of the worst things and I think that I mean I get it it's part of his job his job is to tell you like all the bad things that can happen because if he doesn't then you're like oh my God, you never told me this. How horrible, right? So I get it, totally get it. He just had to tell me all the scary things. But I was like, yep, okay, I accept these risks. And it almost kind of like surprised him, I think. Um, Because he's like, you know, there's no, um, depending on who you talk to, there's no guarantee that this will fix any of the infertility stuff. There's no promise that this will. And I was like, yes, I get it. I'm like, but I just feel like at this point in time, I need To help my brain by doing this And so he's like okay And so we did it so like you also stage four He's like there was a lot more than I Anticipated seeing like he's like I thought I would find some but I didn't expect to Find as much as I did and I was like I knew it I was, yeah. like, I was like, was right? <laughs> Nobody was listening to me. Um, yeah. So, like, you're like, you know, vindication. Like, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like you just feel like, oh, my gosh, I knew it. I knew it all along. But, like, it it does, I don't, for you, it probably doesn't. But for me, I think having had a few cycles in it, I'm like, oh, is, is this the reason why? Is this, I mean, I know I'm old as fuck, too, like. <laughs> You know, I get it. My ovaries are old. But I, part of me is also like, oh my gosh, is there, does this give me a little bit of hope? Like, is this why, you know, and I, I know it doesn't mean much, but you know, there's still a possibility, but like, and but I found out after however many cycles you found out beforehand, I don't know. Does that feel like, did you feel like, oh, maybe this is why, you know, I wasn't able to get pregnant before. Maybe this is the solution. Like, how did you... Take that information and then move into your first IVF cycle.
1: Um, I mean, because I, the first excision, I was like the same as you. I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I have answers, yeah. you know. And I was the same way. I had heavy periods. I was also a gymnast um, growing up, and my period came later. Mm-hmm. And then I also went on birth control. And so I feel like in our generation, too, everyone was quick to put you on birth control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you. I just blamed birth control for all my problems. Mm-hmm. Because every time I would take it, some of them hurt. I was like, oh, I hate this birth control. It makes me crazy and gain weight. And then I would get off of it. And then I would have a heavy period. And I'd be like, oh, it's because the birth control. So I never really kind of put any other situation together. And nor did our doctors. They were just like, yeah, birth control, there you go. You're fine. You know, you'll be good. So when I got my diagnosis, I was definitely vindicated. And But then I was like, okay, well, now what? Who's going to save me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like this should be easy now I know it Mm -hmm. has a pill right and (laughs) when I later (laughs) later figured out that oh no there's like nothing except excision surgery you have to make sure because at the time too I found out they were just talking about how ablation is not the right answer and excision is the right answer Uh so I was like oh crap like where do I go you know like And so I'd always ask the doctors that I saw, I'm like, do you do ablation or do you do excision? Yeah. Like, how do you feel? Uh-huh. You know? Um, and that was only honestly in 2018. So that's not really that long ago that people were like discovering these things. And, um, with my first IVF cycle, doing an egg retrieval, there was a lot. So I'm still kind of in the beginning part of learning about it because I did have a failed. Um, egg retrieval back in March, April, one of those. And um, I had empty uh, follicles. And but what kind of frustrated me is that I because my clinic is in New York. So you kind of have to do it's like a DIY do it yourself. Like, I go in for monitoring to a clinic here in town. And then I get shipped off to New York to like take those follicles out but I only had two follicles and they were like well that's fine at least you got two you are 42 so like that's good for 42 get on a plane spend a bunch of money and and then to find out I had empty follicles I was really upset because I probably also should never fly anywhere with two follicles like I know this now and (laughs) you know like I shouldn't do any kind of egg retrieval with two follicles. I get that they're saying any follicle is good, but like this just doesn't, it doesn't seem like I should have been able to do that. So I do get to do, I am going to do maybe one more egg retrieval, but, and we did donor eggs as well. I think I might've told you that. So I do, we do have three donor eggs um that worked, Um but I don't know after this, So again, during my egg retrieval, they were like, you have a very large endometrioma. You have to remove that before doing anything else. So I was like, fine. So I called my doctor again in Chattanooga and told him the situation. And he was like, no problem. So, you know, I had surgery in July. And then it just is like, I feel like every surgery is just like doom and gloom. (laughs) You know, it's like, so the surgery obviously like, they found it on my ureter, and it was terrible experience. So I don't even know what to do next with IVF. Like it feels very frustrating, and I also am like, okay, well now don't I need like a a reproductive endocrinologist that really knows how to deal with endometriosis? You know, and it's like feels like the same path that I was following, just finding out that I had endometriosis. So. Yeah, I
0: don't know. Did so but like your REI currently did like mm-hmm. they knew you had endometriosis. Yeah. Did they like? Did they say anything about it? Did they talk to you about it? Like, what was the guidance?
1: The only guidance was, "Hey, we want to do mini IVF. Oh, okay, less hormones, yeah. the better." Mm-hmm. And that's really the only thing I've been doing. Oh, okay, so I want second opinions. Of yes, course. <laughs> yes, I'm always second and third and totally and fifth opinions. Yeah. Um. I feel like the the IVF community online has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, it's funny too, because I have a friend back home in Phoenix mm-hmm. who put me in touch with this like fertility group in Phoenix during the pandemic. And one of the girls on it, like we were all having this discussion online, Zoom chat, you know? And so she gets on it and she's just like, I like love her for this too. She was like hardcore, like, I don't want to hear people's opinions on what I should do next. I need to know this. What are you guys doing? You know, she had all these like bullet points of things that she wanted to talk to us about and, and where she is in her stage of fertility. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this chick is rad. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I was like, I'm going to like be her friend. And so we just like connected online. Her name's Lillian. And, um, I'm sure you follow her. And so we've talked and she was the one who was like, all right, you need to follow this person. You need to follow that person. And so, uh, she's just was like my light at the end of this crazy tunnel. And she's the reason that I started like really figuring out that IVF was hard (laughs) and that it wasn't simple, you know?
0: And I think the hard thing is, and this probably should have been discussed, although I'm no doctor. Um, but like with like mini IVF that it, because it's mini, you won't make a whole lot of follicles. So, I mean, like, I feel like they should have prepared you for that. Like, be prepared that with mini stem means like mini stem, <laughs> like you're not going to get 10, 12 follicles. You like, it's the minimum amount possible, you know, one to two, two to three or whatever. And that might be what you're working with, but. Like, I mean, I feel like that should have been a discussion that they had, but but they did that to me, too, where, you know, not obviously these different clinics. But like, I remember my clinic, I was like, so um, because I didn't do I have not yet done a mini stim and I don't know. I've asked about it, but they're like, well, you make so many follicles. It makes the most sense to try and get all of them as opposed to like, you know what I mean? As opposed to like not
1: continuously doing them, too. Right. So like they're like.
0: If we do, if we get more, there's a bigger chance, which I totally am like on board with, right? Yeah, me too. But then at the same point in time, like I've heard that if you do a mini stim, that might be better for quality because it's less drugs. So less drugs may improve quality for some people. And so, and for me, because I have a low AMH, I don't make that many eggs anyway. So I've like, right now my AMH is like 0.5 or something like that. And so I was like, okay, well, it makes sense. Like if I, especially at my age, like finding that good egg is so much harder, right? Like it's a one in 10 kind of thing for us or, you know, one in 20 ish, you know, one in 10 to 20, basically it's really freaking hard. (laughs) Like, so I'm like, so yeah, it does make sense to get more quantity to, to find the one, you know, but like my first, my first experience, I asked him, I'm like, so is this like normal? Cause like, oh, they counted however many. I'm like, okay, is that good? And he's like, ah, it could be. And I was like, well, are you happy or are you not happy? Or what am I, what are we feeling here? Like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to interpret this, you know? And, Um, he was just like, well, it depends for some people. Yes. For some people. No. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not helpful. And then like, same thing, got to retrieval and then retrieved eight eggs the first go around. And then, um, I was like, oh, is that like good? Were you expecting? And I was doing some reading and they're like, 10's good at like at this age, like 10 can be good. I'm like, so I got eight. Does that mean it's really bad? Kind of bad. Still okay. Like, what are your thoughts? like he's like "Ah, same answer like super vague "Eh, for some people yes for some people no i'm like okay man like you've got to have some like you have to have some feeling about this right you can't be completely (laughs) neutral and i understand Like i always try to see their point of view i'm like i understand that you're probably like not trying to provide false hope. Like, you don't want to be like, this is going to be amazing because you probably have dashed many hopes before and you don't want to be that guy to give like terrible news, right? You got to give me something to work with, right? And then he did not talk about the attrition rate at all. Like, he did not talk about like, oh, expect to lose this many eggs from here to here. Expect to lose this many eggs from here to here. I found all that out on Google. Like, I just was like, what happens next? So I just started Googling. I'm like, Oh, you could lose this much. You could lose this much. But I'm like, I don't know how true this is because I don't, I don't know what that means. Does that like differ by age? Does it? And so I was just like super frustrated because I felt like I wasn't told a lot of information. And then that forces us to go out and find our own or do this kind of thing where we create our own platforms to kind of get whatever information out there we can so that other people aren't, you know, struggling with the same kind of thing that we did with not knowing what to expect or not knowing what to do. Because even then I kind of want to talk about this laparoscopy thing too. Like even with a laparoscopy surgery, like I did not know what to expect, which is why I messaged you. I'm like, Hey, (laughs) is this normal? And you're like, I don't know, maybe check with your doctor, but this is how I felt. And I'm like, well, like what is normal like what you know like so like first as far as like the IVF thing goes like hearing that you know you didn't necessarily get all the information with that either which can be frustrating and then that also leading you to kind of be like well I now I don't know what to do and which I think is amazing that you're going to see multiple um you know, consultations to really see. And I think that's, I think people need to know that that is okay. Like, I think we talked about this too. We were like, you're not here to make best friends. Like you're here for a goal. And however you plan on achieving that goal, (laughs) you should go about doing it. So if you're like, this doesn't feel right. It's not, and I don't know if you got that feeling too. Like after my first one, I was like, I don't like this. I don't know what this is, but I don't like this and I don't like how this feels. I want to find somewhere else to go. Like, I don't know. Is that how you felt? Yeah. Because I get yeah. that question too, where it's like, how do you know when it's like not right? I'm like, it just doesn't feel right. I think. I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah. I feel like they're. I don't know. I think I grew up thinking doctors were on some kind of pedestal, mm-hmm. like kind of godly. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they're also humans like us. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure that out. Um, Just kind of like how you were saying, how you were like this. Yeah. This doctor says I'm good. We're good. You know? So I feel like I, when I go see a doctor, I have a list of questions for them because I want the time that I'm being spent with them to be, you know, like I'm getting answers They're They're going to help me. And if it's, and if they're just like kind of, you can tell people's attitudes towards it too. And I'm like, okay, well then we're just not meant to work together. You know, if you're, if I'm not getting my answers answered or, you know, I want, like, I'm an inquisitive person. I'm like, my dad's a biology teacher. He taught me everything growing up. So I'm like, okay, how does this reproductive work? You know, like, how does this, situ- how does IVF work? Like, and if a doctor can't explain it to me or educate me, then like, I'm not, it's probably not a good, Match because I need education and I need constant like follow through. <laughs> Otherwise, I just I'm not going to get the help I need. So, and I think that's valid. I don't think that we owe it to anybody else to stay with them just because of their, you know, job
0: title or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. And I think too, like, um, we don't like you don't have to feel bad like you're going to hurt their feelings. I mean, just like, just like anything else, it sometimes you just are not a good match. And if you're not a good match, it's okay. Somebody else will be a good match for them. And it doesn't have to be you if it doesn't feel right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's how I've found the doctors that I care for, which is like two, but you know, like those two are my saving grace and mm-hmm. that's all I need,
0: you know? Yeah. And I think too, when you find those ones those do feel right like you know the difference between the two where you're like this just feels right it feels like it's a partnership i feel heard and even if you disagree you feel because you're not always going to agree like just like any other free and (laughs) relationship you're not always going to agree on things because that's just the reality of it but i think it's how you handle the disagreement together is how you move forward because they can still i mean like you said the education part like if if you're like well i want to do this and they're like, okay, realistically, these are the reasons why that will not work. And this is the reason why I really think that this is not beneficial for you. You can take that a lot easier than just no. And you're like, well, why? You're like, just, it's just no. You know, like, if if you hear, like, these are the reasons why. And they're not like, all right, well, that sounds fair. I'll let that one go or whatever. You know what I mean? But I think those are important in finding, like, whoever... Your doctor is going to be like whichever one you choose for any of them, like whether it's endometriosis or, you know, IVF or whatever I feel like for for me anyway, I feel like that was um, when I felt heard. And then when I was given an opportunity to say or ask a question and it, I wasn't made to feel dumb or imposing, then I was like, okay, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've had some like <laughs> really interesting experiences where uh, and I didn't really have this experience in the West or West Coast. And I don't know if it's just living in the South, but, you know, women are treated a little different here. And, um, you know, you go into the gynecology office, they like give you an exam and they're like, OK, I'll see you in my office. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Gown up, see you in the office, put your clothes on, you know, and you're like, OK. And then you like go into their office, and they're like sitting there with their feet up on their desk, being like, "Okay, look, girl, this is what I think you need to do, and I'm the best." And you're like, "What is happening?" <laughs> like like this? No, not into this. Uh-huh. You know? Uh huh. <laughs> um, it's really funny. I just and one actually one of my favorite doctors here in town. She's a urogynecologist, and I met her husband. Because I had a doctor be like, oh, you have bowel issues and stomach problems. Go to him. And so I went to him and he was like, oh, yeah, there's nothing I can really do for you. But, you know, here's a diet you need to follow. And the diet was white rice, white bread, milk. And I was like, all these things cause so much pain for me. What are you telling me? He's like, that's all you need to eat. Like, you know, don't stay away from that stuff. You need it.
0: Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We're just going to take a quick break, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I know infertility is a stressful time, and we often don't provide ourselves with enough self-care. One way to give ourselves a little more self-care is with Pranamats acupressure mats. This is what you can do. Give yourself about 20 minutes to lie down, and within those 20 minutes, this is what you're going to experience. There's going to be an increase in blood flow, a surge of endorphins, relief of muscular tension, and finally, a euphoric calm of the mind and body. So if you're due for some unwinding after a long day, go to pronomat.com and check out their different massage mat sets. Because the 40 and Infertile Podcast is a Pranamat affiliate, 40 and Infertile Podcast listeners get a special offer by using the code 40, and infertile. That's the number four, the number zero, and A-N-D, infertile, I-N-F-E-R-T-I-L-E, all one word. And now back to our episode.
1: And I was so confused, but he was like, you know who you should see? You should really just go see my wife. And so I went and saw his wife and she's like one of my, the best doctors that I've found here in town who like put me in touch with like endometriosis specialists and like fertility clinics and, you know, really just advocated for me. And I feel like if you can find one of those people in your life, it really helps. And I'm also like, I'm, I'm not a Southern girl, so the doctor's here, (laughs) The doctors here can kind of – I can – I know that if they have, like, a notebook or, like, if they have some kind of chart, which they they do, but, like, electronic charts that they're, like, this student is bad. Watch out for her. I guarantee I'm on that list. (laughs) So, you know, and it's just because I just want answers, and I think it's fair enough to ask, you know? It's like I feel like I'm dying, and I'm like, please help me not die. So – you know, what is, what can I do to like be on top of this situation, you know, and if they have no answers or they're kind of telling me to, to stop asking questions, then I, you know, need to find someone else. So I feel like that with the IVF world as well, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. Any of it. I
1: see a lot of women talking about their doctors and how much they love them and, and it seems like they've been great for them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to follow those people
0: in their teaching. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. I think that's totally true in the IVF world. Like there are some who are amazing and some who are less than amazing, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, you and I have both seen some of them. So, you know, like I I think, um, I, and someone might love the same one that you just don't jive with and that's fine. Right, You know, it just, if you don't jive, you don't jive and that's it. And then we just got to let it go. Um, but like, so, you've done one IVF cycle, right? Two. Yeah. One, uh, just one, just one. Okay.
1: I mean, I should say I've done two, I have done two cycles or maybe, but one of the first one I did, they were like, Oh, your follicles aren't large enough scratch. And Uh I did like another one. Okay. Um, and that's the one that brought me to New York and that didn't work.
0: Okay. Meaning like yeah. you didn't get any normal embryos or you still had no eggs? No eggs. Oh, okay. But now that you're
1: telling me about mini cycle, see, this is the thing. I didn't really know <laughs> that mini cycle equals less eggs because no one told me. So, and that makes sense. Yeah. And I probably should have known that. And, you know, yeah. up. <laughs> yeah.
0: but like, okay, let's talk about a little bit about the laparoscopic surgery, like excision surgeries, because like, I know for me, when I, Got my like all, the oh, the only information I got. So this is what they told me. Um, so I had to have nothing to eat by mouth the the night before. I had to do a bowel prep. I don't know if you had to do a bowel prep, but I had to do a bowel prep. Let me tell you, mm. <laughs> that is a miserable existence for twenty four hours. <laughs> like because I had to be on a clear liquid diet starting at like noon so they're like you can have breakfast and a really light lunch and then you're on a clear liquid diet. Oh my God, you got breakfast? I didn't even <laughs> get breakfast. Yeah. I, they're like, you can eat a regular breakfast, a super light lunch, but after that it's clear liquids, only clear liquids. And then- there was some recall on one of the bowel preps that was like the smaller one. So that I got the gallon jug that I had oh, to that drink.
1: Oh, so I had to drink God. a gallon
0: jug that, Um, my friend who had a colonoscopy, like, I don't know, a year ago or whatever, she's like, you got to put crystal light in it. And she's like, it makes it way more easier to like chug. And I was like, okay. And the
1: directions... That's a good, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I did that. I didn't even try it without it. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to do what she (laughs) said. She's done it. If it works, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to mess around with this because I just need to get this stuff down. Right. And then, so I remember... It it said to start that at like 3 p.m. or something like that. And so I mixed everything together and they're like, chill it in the fridge so that like it's it goes down easier. Right. And then the directions were like, drink eight ounces every 10 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, okay, so I did like the math. I was like, okay, it's going to take me this amount of time to finish this gallon. I'm like, okay, what you don't take into account is the amount of time you're stuck in the bathroom and can't come out to drink more. (laughs) Yes. That's so true. So I'm like, why did I sign up for this? And so (laughs) I was like, because I did, because I was like, yes, I assume the risks. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? So I I did that. And then um, they started me on medication the day before too. So they said, take, um, start taking gabapentin the night before. And then, um, And the morning when I got to the hospital, they gave me more gabapentin and then I think Tylenol or something like that, like by mouth. But aside from that, I wasn't allowed to do like drink or eat anything, but they gave me this like carbohydrate drink to drink before the surgery. So I drank that like they told me to. And then um, they said like after surgery, um, it can take, they said it can take up to six weeks for you to feel better, but most people feel back to normal around four weeks. Um, that's about all the information I got, like for recovery. And they're like, just don't lift anything heavy in the first couple weeks. Um, like, you know, watch any heavy lifting, but walk a lot to get the gas out. They're like the first 24 hours, the gas is going to be gnarly. And so everyone that I asked on Instagram was like, get gas pills, start the gas pills, ASAP. And the second thing people were saying was constipation, like, just really look out for the constipation. So I was like really afraid of all of those things. So I got gas pills. I started popping gas pills like right away because I was like, I don't want that like gnarly gas pain that goes up to your shoulder and all that stuff. So those that was the information I got on recovery. What information did you get for recovery? Like what did they tell you?
1: So uh, I didn't have to do that disgusting gallon. I had to do that once for a colonoscopy, but I didn't have to do that stuff. Instead, they made me just not eat and take Miralax. But I, at that point, I was like, oh, my God, is this going to kill me? Because they they're just like so much Miralax. I was like, this is probably not good for me. Um, but it worked. And then you also had to give yourself an anima. Yes, I forgot about that. Low, which is fun. like
0: <laughs> when you're already, um, what do I say? Uh, when you're already yeah. sore or yeah, <laughs> whatever, you're like, awesome. Yes. Yeah, you're Great. like, now I have to do what? <laughs> yeah. God. Yes. I had to I do that too. I forgot. How did I forget? Oh my God.
1: Cause we try to block <laughs> out of our head. I know. <laughs> so my husband. I'm like, you're such a lucky man. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they told me they're just like, I mean, I get a sheet that goes home with me and the sheet is just like, uh, I mean, it's like this last surgery. It was like, you know, take, I had to take magnesium before surgery, like a week. Oh, I didn't do that. Up until Yeah, a week up until it. And then while I was recovering, still take magnesium at night. Um, there's also this stuff I'm kind of forgetting the name of. It starts with an S, but it's kind of like cole, but it starts with an S. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Senecott, probably. take that. Mm-hmm. Senec, yes. Mm-hmm. And then they're like... Um, you know, cause I was taking so much pain medicine that they're like, it's going to constipate you, which it does. And it did. Um, and, uh, so there's, I also needed to like, um, what they, they gave me a list. So it was like, um, you know, my doctor gives me this stuff called, it's kind of like a synthetic weed is how I want to say it. it starts with a D, but he gives me that stuff so I can sleep. Um, cause the more sleep, the better. Obviously, they want you to move around, but my surgeries have been, like, because I've also had two myomectomies, and that is, like, there's no way I'm standing up or moving around. In fact, I ha- this time before surgery, I had, like, I got all this, like, prep stuff, so mm-hmm. like a cane. Like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, because I just, like, you're kind of, like, slumped over, just like, uh, you know, because um, you're in- and your insides feel like, oh, you know that thing from like a looking glass thing that like you turn and it's like sand on one end and then you turn it and the sand goes down the other. Like my insides feel like that. Like they feel squishy. So I just had to lay on my back the whole time. But they're just like, you know, drink lots of fluids and don't get dehydrated. But they really don't give you a lot of information. That's like you're going to be in so much pain. Yeah. Well, and I I think my doctor is pretty good about pain medicine, but yeah, it made me really sick too. So,
0: yeah, I got all my pain medicine ahead of time. So they gave me, um, uh, they gave me oxycodone for this, and I, I actually didn't take any of it. I just did, um, the gabapentin. I just did the ibuprofen and Tylenol. That's all I did. And I, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was really worried about the constipation too, and I was like, you know. I think like this pain I can manage like this. It didn't take everything away, but I was like, I I could walk around and stuff. So I feel like I was the lucky one, you know, because I've heard so many stories like you where they're like, I could not get up. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm kind of fortunate. Yeah, I
1: remember you telling me that. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're so lucky you to like, stand and move around. I'm like a zombie and like, yeah. in my bed.
0: Yeah. And so I feel like I was the like one of the lucky ones because I had heard stories. So I was kind of prepared for like, oh, my gosh, what if like I'm stuck in bed for a few days? Yeah. So, it, But it was good. It was good to hear. It was good to hear like what the possibilities were. And then, of course, the first day I forgot and tried to just like get out of bed, which like I mean, it's so funny how these teeny tiny little incisions, you're like, why am I having such a hard time? Because the incisions are really small, but I get like they do a lot of work like underneath. Like, you know, when they're in there, they're doing like a lot of stuff. Because I also had lesions on my ureter. Oh, you did? So I had it on my ureter. Mm -hmm. So I had spots, like they found some on my ureter. They found some also on like the iliac artery, which is like one of the arteries that runs down like in there. So they like took it off my arteries. They took it off like, uh, like my, I think I want to say bladder, but it was like everywhere too. So, um, but yeah, so I remember I was like, I'm just going to get up. And I tried to sit up. I was like, nope, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> this was the worst pain ever. And so I have to, I had to do this log roll thing yes, where I like rolled yeah. onto my side and then yeah. use my arms to push me up. And oh, then yeah. that way I didn't engage my core at all. And then I was like, oh, that's so much better. And then because like where I live, like allergy season is stupid and I. The sneezing, I thought I was going to die. I thought my insides were going to like rip apart when I sneezed because everything contracted. And I was like, this is the most painful thing I could do right now is sneeze. And then I had to cough too. And I was like, why? I was like, this is horrible. I was like, please don't sneeze. Please don't sneeze. And then when I did, <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, like that's every time after I sneezed, I was like, ah. I was,
1: like... Yeah, it does feel weird. It feels like there's like a pulling. Cause I know that like sometimes I want to stretch in the morning and I like I, w- I couldn't stretch because it felt like it was like pulling my insides and I'm like ow oh! so I would just like try and hold in the
0: stretch like well like when you're like like when you're driving and you're like checking yes your blind spot you feel this like you say it's like a pulling but I only okay. feel it on one side my other side feels fine and I remember telling my doctor this he's like well you just need to actually stretch like. Do, do some of these stretching exercises. I think that was like two weeks in. He's like, you can start doing these stretching exercises. I'm like, it feels like my insides are going to rip apart. And he's like, they're not. I'm like, I realize that they're probably not, but it feels like my insides are going to rip apart. But like, and I had cramping for sure. And so a heating pad morning, afternoon, night, like I just kept heating up my heating pad because I have, I like the weighted ones, you know, with like. Like whatever they put in it. I don't know if it's rice or beans or something, but I like the ones with weight in them. So I just kept throwing it in the microwave and then just putting heat on my belly. And that felt so good for me. Like I felt like that helped so much. And honestly, for like probably three weeks, I just wore my pajamas every day because I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I don't feel like going anywhere. I'm just going to sit right here on the couch. I think they counted my steps on my phone and it was like 800 a day yeah. or something <laughs> stupid like that because I did not get up. But I was sitting up, but I re- remember thinking like, oh, my gosh, the like the more I was sitting upright, the more sore I got because I was like, oh, I'm using my core, I guess. So then like if I reclined a little bit, I like I didn't feel it as much. So I mean, like all these things that nobody tells you. Like to expect after surgery. I don't know. Like what are some other things? I
1: feel like mine was worse too.
0: Um Oh, it sounds like it was, yeah. Uh
1: so I had endo removed off my bladder and like that first couple Ps are like the worst. Um, like trying to urinate, it hurts really bad. Um I also uh this last time though, I get sleeping bladder syndrome um during anesthesia. And so I didn't know this, but there is like certain, like you should tell your anesthesiologist this if that happens to you. Um And they just use a different medicine uh, when you're sleeping instead of, I think she said, instead of gas, they were going to use something else on me. Cause I told this last time when I got my stent pulled out, I was like, I do not want another catheter. <laughs> so I had to have a catheter cause my bladder wouldn't work. And um I think, you know, that was also, at first, I thought that's why I had to go to the hospital. I mean, it's really important to make sure everything is clean. Like, everything is clean that you're using to, like, you know, for your wounds, if you have to self-cath, if you, you know, there can be so many different things that happen after surgery. And, you know, also being aware of your temperature, like, making sure that you're not about to have a fever, because you could be slowly having an infection. Um just you know the also thing they don't tell you is like it takes a while before you can shower um and also there's like a couple of things you can do about incisions like for your scarring so like for me I scar dark and so I asked them not to do uh glue I asked them just to use um uh what's it called uh stitches so I I wanted them to like stitch me up instead of glue Um, which this time actually they did, they only went through my belly button. So they used glue and it, it does look better. The other thing they don't tell you is that your belly button will never look the same. Oh, really? (laughs) Depressing. Yeah. Like a lot of women I talk to, it's like, cause they cut you like right where your belly button kind of starts going down. And so I've had so much scarring in my belly button. So it kind of just depends on how you scar, too. Um And then there's all those, like, scar things that you can use for all your incision marks. And I feel like the first surgery I had, first laparoscopic, I was like, oh, I have these, like, cute, tiny little incisions. <laughs> like, you know, they, they kind of felt like it was, like, my... Uh, you know, I was in this war and I'm a warrior and I've just come out of this and I should be proud of my scars. And then like the second surgery and the third one and this fourth one, I'm just like, dear Lord, my stomach looks like someone shot me, <laughs> like, you know, and it's just, it gets too much after a while. And I'm sure you've seen women online with their, you know, their markings and they'll like do a little triangle and tell you when they've had surgery. Um, but I'm trying to think of other things, too. I mean, I use pillows to, like, keep me up when I'm sleeping. Um, so then that way I can do the log roll, but I'm not super flat. Because um, it hurts when you're flat because your scars are, like, pulling. Your skin's pulling. So I, had, I always use a giant amount of pillows to, like, prop me up. And that lasts a long time. I, I think, like, healing depends on per person too they don't tell you so some people are like oh it'll be two weeks and some are like six months and you're like oh my god (laughs) you know so
0: yeah and Uh, i think too they don't tell you like how long because i think you know about you know your incisions healing and stuff like that but what happens afterwards and what that means for ivf like i had this conversation with my surgeon and he was like well you know, there's no guarantee it's going to help. But, you know, if it does, then, you know, then, you know, hopefully with it, it should be your first or your first cycle. And and I was like, so when can I expect that I let like, these lesions will come back? I was like, I know they'll come back. There's no like it, the excision doesn't mean they're going to stay away forever. They're going to come back as long as I'm exposed to estrogen. Right. And he was like, well, it just depends. <clears throat> and so I was like, Okay, well, then what do we do now? And he's like, well, stay on birth control and that will limit your estrogen exposure, which is like okay for me for now because it's going to save me from my period. Because he did say, your first period is like oh, rough. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's like your first yeah. period is going to be rough. And I'm like, it was already rough. <laughs> like, no. It's going to be worse. Like, oh my God um and that happened after i think was it worse for you well i haven't had it yet because i'm still on the pill oh okay so I don't know yet. I'm really, really scared. <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's okay to stay on this for a while. I'm like, okay. Um, but like after my second cycle, I remember that was like a really heavy, painful period. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what is up with this? And then my fertility doctor was like, yeah, that can happen after your cycle. I'm like, oh, this, I'm really uncomfortable. Like and it was super heavy and I was like really uncomfortable. I was like, man, if it's going to be like that, that's going to be not fun to deal with, and so I've kind of been hesitating <laughs> because I'm like, well, if I don't need to feel the pain, then I'll stay on this until I figure out what I need to do. But that was the other thing that he said too. Like your first period after um, your excision surgery is going to be really uncomfortable. So was yours? Did yours feel really uncomfortable after?
1: Uh, so this last one, no, but uh, the one I had, my my first excision surgery cuz i also had a myomectomy i passed out it was so painful i had to like go to the doctors and be like what's wrong um yeah it was bad it was really bad uh but the the third plus the third surgery but second and uh, excision surgery i didn't it was it was really light actually and i was kind of thankful for it i also cuz i have adenomyosis yeah me too did they also tell you do too um so i had adenomyomas, so not just fibroids but like little masses so they got rid of those and i think that helped my period because i haven't had bad periods since they got rid of them um and i haven't had a heavy flow either which i still though have that like ptsd in my head of like oh my god it's gonna come and it's gonna be everywhere <laughs> <You> know, like <laughs> <Yes>. murder scene <laughs> yes um, yes <laughs> So, uh, yeah. And it's been two years now, I guess, since I've had decent periods. So I do feel like excision surgery does help your periods if, you know, they can find it. I guess it's just dependent on the person your, you know, your own body. Um,
0: cause I mean, by comparison, my recovery was a lot easier than yours, <laughs> like by comparison. Cause like yeah. I said, like the first day I got up and I forced myself to like, I like tried to do laps and then after like the second or third day I'm like <laughs> yeah I was like I'm really <laughs> sore <laughs> and I was like I yeah. think I'm doing a little too much I'm like okay I'm gonna relax a little bit but because I was so worried about constipation I was so yeah. worried about the gas pain I was like yeah. I just gotta like move so I was like doing dishes stuff like that so I could like just keep my brain busy but keep upright and moving to like yeah move gas and stuff um, But then I started to get pretty sore. Like a few days after that, I was like, oh, okay, maybe too much. <laughs> so then I'd like slowed down a little bit. And I think that that helped too. But like you said, I think there's a spectrum of like what people will experience because you're not the first person I've heard that could not get out of bed the first day, yeah. could not stand up, could not sit up. And I think like I don't and I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you're stage four because we're both stage fours and we had two completely different experiences in recovery, which is okay. But like and I get sometimes it's hard to say like what you'll expect recovery wise. But I think there are some things that are helpful. Like, yes, when you sit up, it hurts more because like you're just going to feel a lot more sore and that's totally okay. That's normal. And then. You know, things like you said, the constipation, the gas pain, they did go over the gas pain, they did go over the constipation. Um, But then, you know, you had trouble walking and like some people don't. And so you may have trouble walking. And then, you know, I think just kind of that stuff can be like helpful. And then I just started myself on Miralax, like right after because I was so worried about constipation. Yeah. I mean, I still take it. So I just started myself on where I yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, too, you were talking about, I think you and I talked about this, too, um, pelvic floor physical therapy, because you, yes. you started pelvic floor yes. physical therapy, right?
1: Yeah. So, so I've been doing it since the second surgery I ever had.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think that has helped you with?
1: Oh, my gosh. It's been amazing. Um, and I will say I'm going to start doing pelvic floor I think coming up, um, my pelvic floor therapist is doing some conference right now, but it helps like I, and this is the way she's always told me is like everybody with a period should go to pelvic floor because when you're having a period, you are like cramping up your body. You're like, you know, tension, you know, you're like, that hurts, you know, that's tension. So you're putting a lot of tension into your uterus, into your, you know, pelvic area and when you do exercises for it to like release the tension um it just heals faster and you know there's things that i'm actually de- i haven't had to deal with like um what is it called vulvodynia or um but this time around all of a sudden you know that's the other thing they don't talk about and maybe this is very tmi but like your first time having sex afterwards and being intimate with your partner, it's like scary and painful. It's not like, oh, this is great. Back to normal, you know? And this last time, uh, it felt like I had a wall inside. And I was like, this is terrible. Something's really wrong. So I actually am going to a doctor on Monday to make sure because you can get prolapse too from like surgeries. And that's another thing they don't talk about is you definitely want to make sure you don't get prolapse but it happens you know um and so pelvic floor is just so important it also helps just like your surgery like your recovery time as well um and they don't just like I don't know my pelvic floor therapist like yeah she gives you exercises and they do internal work vaginally and rectally um, which they don't tell you, but it's really helpful and you're uncomfortable and it's hard to talk about. But both of those things are really important, um, especially if you've had surgery in any of those areas. Um, Plus, they can kind of check around and be like, hey, your anatomy looks good. Everything's great versus, oh, my gosh, you have something protruding. You know, you need to look into that. Um, But she also like my therapist was like also very – understanding and was like hey have you like I'd be like oh my god I can't go to the bathroom what's going on she's like well my because they also work with a lot of women who have had c-sections and who have delivered babies vaginally and have had issues and um so those women use certain things to help them recover and those can be the same type of things that can help us recover from surgery so you know when I was having some problems I asked her and she was like oh you know people who have C-sections they it's really scary for them to ha- have a bowel movement. So they use Colace. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, that's great. So I've been doing like those kind of things with her. Um, but yes, I think even if you haven't had surgery and you have terrible cramps or whatever, you should definitely go see a pelvic floor therapist. They're miracle workers.
0: You you know, what's funny, um, and I don't know if this is true. I have no way of verifying this. Although maybe if there's a listener in like Europe who can tell me this, but like I've heard one of my friends told me like in Europe and, you know, any other country other than this one, I guess yeah. <laughs> Like when, when you deliver, like everyone goes through pelvic floor therapy, which I'm like, oh my gosh, Why is that not a standard thing? Because we all have like all these bladder things that happen like after. I mean, you hear about all this, like after people deliver babies and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It helps with bladder retention. Yeah. If you have like, yeah, if you have like bladder leakage or whatever. I'm like, why are we not like talking more about using this as a tool just for women in general? Like we should like talk about its benefits. Maybe I need to find a pelvic floor therapist to get on here to talk about like... (laughs) how this can be helpful you
1: definitely should you yes should. I yes can yes hook yes you up with I can hook you up with mine she's amazing I think she's she's the, actually she told me she's like the first person in Nashville to like start a pelvic floor therapy like group like most like it's not very common I guess to have them down here I don't know and she's like one of the best down here And it's not because she said she was.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I'm like, maybe we need to explore this topic a little more, like how it can help women in general, like even maybe even like before, like, you know, because everyone's goal is to like make a human right so like at some point in time that human's got to get out of you <laughs> one way or another that human's got to get out of you right and so if you're if you're lucky enough to carry one to term and then deliver however c-section or or whatever i think it still changes your pelvis and i think it's still important things we can do ahead of time to really strengthen that area before we even get there um even as we get older i think too so i i'll have to I'll have to write that down so that's like one of my topics to cover in the future yeah, there's also like i mean when you get older
1: too, your like vaginal muscles kind of are also going down, just like our beautiful faces, and um even you know like putting like if you use tampons sometimes like you'll laugh too hard and it you like <laughs> starts coming out and you're like, what is going on yeah. <laughs> Is this because I'm old, or is this? Oh my god, something wrong. But it's like okay. So oh, sorry, I have to say
0: this. This is probably way too much yeah. information. I'm yeah. so sorry for anyone who's hearing this and does not want to hear. <laughs> but I remember when I was younger, and I first started, because we don't talk about this shit either. Like yeah. when uh when I was younger, and I was first like learning how to. I'm like, this is like twenties, right? And I was yeah. like, because remember, my mom didn't let me use them, and so oh, I'm like, right. this seems like. This would be easier. Maybe I won't have as many accidents, right? It's not true. I just like bled right through them. They like (laughs) did not do anything for me. But like that happened to me where I'm like, did I do this wrong? Because that happened. I like sneezed or laughed or something. I was like, (laughs) whoop. Uh huh. (laughs) And you're like, this is going to be Bob. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh, what was that? I got to go to the bathroom really quick. But it's true. I'm like, I wonder if it's because, Mm -hmm. like, we really should be focusing on that area, just like in general, you know, like we should just have like a better, stronger pelvic floor, just period, whether or not we end up having kids or not, that that's something that we should really like work on. So I definitely want to do that. I think
1: I agree. No, my pelvic floor therapist was like, how did you find me? And I was like, I saw somewhere on Instagram that I needed this after surgery. And I just Googled you and I just found you. And she was like, wow. She's like, no one ever has that story. It's usually like women who have had babies and they're like in a lot of pain and their gynecologist is like, oh, okay, well, maybe pelvic floor, you know, but you're right. It should be just like every
0: woman should Mm -hmm. be doing. I mean, you know, just like, I mean, like, just like we should all have a good, strong core, we should probably have a good, strong pelvic floor, (laughs) Like the reality is that probably is I agree. true. So yeah, yeah, I definitely will put that on my list of things. But like, so kind of going through all of this, the process is like, you know, all of it, like whether it's endometriosis or whether it's IVF, it can be so complicated, so overwhelming. What do you think has been the biggest struggle for you?
1: Ooh, just trying to find like the right path to be gone. Like, I feel like there's so many paths and you can go all these different directions and I think just finding the path that I'm supposed to be on, which obviously it's, it's, it's own thing, right? Like you can't really figure that out unless you start doing it. Um, but that's been my biggest struggle. Uh, and then also just being like, you know, cause when you're first starting out on this, you're like, what, what should I be doing? You know? And there's so much like waiting that I feel like that could, that could be helped some other way, you know? Um, but yeah, my biggest struggle is just trying to figure out the right protocol. Like
0: you mean IVF protocol or For both. just like, oh, okay. I think
1: that's true. For both. Just like, who do I see? What doctors do I go yeah. to? What, what should I do next? What should I take? Mm-hmm. What should I eat? Mm-hmm. What should I... And I mean, I will say the other thing that a lot of... Well, we see this a lot on Instagram is like, you know, diet. Mm -hmm. And diet restrictions and elimination diets and this and that. And I just want to like, I feel like, yes, that can help with your symptoms that you're feeling. But like, just be really careful about those things as well. I don't know. That's just my like, I wish I had known things earlier. (laughs) You know, and I think that's the hardest part is like, I feel like because we're older, we're on a timeline. And I'm like, I don't have time. So tell me what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, and I think too, because people are still trying to figure out this whole endometriosis thing. So I think a lot of people like don't honestly just don't know what to do with it. Because it's like, I think it's probably more recently that it's become a bigger issue and becoming something that you find more in people our age who are struggling. And it kind of like brings us back to the point that we made in the beginning, like it sucks that you go through all this failure to find out. And I forget what the percentage is. I don't know. It's, I think it's something crazy, like 50% of people who have infertility also have endometriosis or something like that. Don't quote me on that. Maybe I'll actually find a real number. <laughs> but I, think, I think it's something like that where it's some large number where I was surprised at the number of people. That like have endometriosis that are also infertile. But then, you know, a lot of times we don't figure it out until we're older. And then, like you said, you're on this time crunch and, you know, everything's like got to do it fast because before we know it, our time is gone and we can't get it back. Like we can't, you can't reverse it, you know? Which is really hard, but um, so we kind of talked a little bit about this, but we can get more specific if we want to. um are there any tips you have for anyone out there, things you wish you had known earlier, whether it's infertility or endometriosis?
1: um just that there's a lot of misinformation out there, and to just like really be careful about who you are talking to, I guess, and the other thing is just like research and trust your you trust yourself um ask questions don't just like you know go to your gynecologist and be like oh birth control great (laughs) you know I guess that's my answer you know which we did that when we were younger and um I really it's I don't know it's sometimes hard for me because I do have friends who are haven't tried to have kids yet but still want to and they're still our age and it's like I want to be like hey go get yourself tested go get your You know, AMH or FSH, go test yourself, see if anything's wrong before you have to go down this whole path. But at the same time, it's like, if they're single and they're like hoping to find someone or they just found someone, it's like, that can also be devastating news. So I don't know. I struggle sometimes with like advice, I guess, you know, like what the right thing to do, but I really wish if I could tell my younger self is to Push harder to get answers and then do my own research.
0: And get on Instagram sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Find your. I think find your tribe yes. and find because like the right tribe too. Yeah. You know the supportive people. Um, you know if, if you're going to do your own reading, make sure that you have good resources. Yeah, sure reputable resources. Yeah, someone's blog is not always like exactly. the resource. If there's like if there's research tied to it, find out about the research and then. Also with actual like research that's done, there's like a ton of stuff to look into as far as research too, research design, sample size, like there's all this stuff to kind of take into consideration. It's really hard to interpret the findings of a research study, but you can always bring them to your doctor if you have a good doctor who's like open to discussing that and you can like talk about it, say, hey, based on this design, is this something that is worthy for us to have a discussion about or something for us to consider. Yeah. And they're like, no, based on these things, this is not a good study. Because there are studies out there that are not good. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I mean, I think those things, like you said, I think also, like your point earlier, don't be afraid to ask for second, third, fourth, fifth consultations. Yeah. Explore your options. Find a person that jives with you. Um. I think that those are the things... I think I wish I would have known. Yeah, out of any of this, and it, it's almost like starting over. When I was first learning about this endometriosis stuff, because like when I was first learning about IVF, I was like, oh my gosh, what is all this? And you had to learn about all these protocols and blah blah blah. Then when I found out about this endometriosis thing, I'm like, oh, I'm like starting from scratch. What is this? Like, what type of surgery? Because I didn't know at the time there were like these specific surgeons who specialize <laughs> in endometriosis. And I started following these things, these surgeons that only did endometriosis surgery and they would talk about make sure they look for this make sure they look for that and I'm like oh my gosh I didn't know it was so involved you know yeah, what I mean same. so I think like you said like check and there are there are these surgeons who are specially trained uh, through a fellowship program mm-hmm. for endometriosis, minimally invasive surgery, and things like that, so you know you can look at their biography and ask them about their training and whether or not they're fellowship trained in these areas because some of them are and some of them aren't. Yep. And so m- mine was fellowship trained and um, specialized in this area mm-hmm. and um, trained with you know one of the I guess you can call them like one of the pioneers in a lot of this surgery. So yeah. like I felt better about it, but yeah, I didn't know about any of this until after I talked to a bunch of people who were like had had this surgery before because I was just like okay yeah <laughs> no, I didn't know Same. I didn't know and I was like oh now I know so you know make sure you find so if it's endometriosis related make sure you find someone who's had specialized training in this area and, and you know like you said ask questions and ask about their training and ask about you know this versus that um and why one would be helpful or another and then you know they can still choose or have a reason why they do or do not do something but I think it's how they answer your questions that will help you decide whether or not you jive with this person as well that's my thought anyway
1: no you're right also always make sure that you have like your photos um just like I was saying I have a folder and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's really helpful to like go along your path and be like what worked what didn't Mm -hmm. work um Mm -hmm. also they can just see your past experiences and Mm -hmm. take it from there Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah, I have to. I probably should find out how to get copies of mine because <laughs> they're like housed in their little internal system. So I think mm-hmm. I have to make a special request. But
1: And everybody can, by the way. That's, that's another yes. thing that people don't understand is you can get your records no matter what. That's, those are yours. Yeah. You can get them anytime you want. Uh, yes. Like anytime get I get a CT scan or an MRI, I go uh-huh. right to the place that I did it. And I'm like, all right, give me the disc, give me the paper.
0: And- uh-huh. And I have my own copy, which it is helpful because sometimes they can't see it and to request request it like through the system yeah. can sometimes take a really long time. So if they can copy mm-hmm. yours or whatever, that's always helpful. Yeah. Um, OK, so for those who are having a hard time um, or they're struggling some either with, you know, trying to figure out if they have endometriosis or having a hard time with IVF or, you know, doing this at 40, what do you think has been something that has changed things for you? So what do you think um, for you that you've done that you're like, this is something that people should know about and should try and really made a difference for me?
1: Yeah, this is such a good question. I don't know. It's like, it's such a hard question because it's just like you can't accept no for an answer. You know, it's like if you're struggling you know, definitely find like, you know, how we talked about your people who are also going through it because like you have a different doctor than me and my doctor has some valid points and your doctor has some valid points. And if you put those together, then we both can benefit from that. Um, I mean, I think that's what really changed for me actually is just finding people who had the same issue that I did and asking them where they went, who their doctor was. Um, that's the other thing is my doctor, he also did the fellowship that you're talking about, but I also didn't trust it. Like I, I, I just don't trust doctors in general just because of my history, but I researched other women who have had surgery with that individual and was like, Hey, how are you today? How are you two days after? How are you a week after a month year? Like, what do you feel? And all of them had really good positive responses. So I felt comfortable with my decision. Um, And I feel like that was kind of my best, like the whole positive that kind of came out of the situation was connecting with other people. Because there isn't very much information about endometriosis because doctors just don't know yet. We just really don't know. And, you know, like you were saying percentages, um, they say like one in 10 have endometriosis, but it takes seven years, five to seven. For me, it was like 20. Um, you know, to figure it out. So,
0: uh, I'm sure that brings that average up closer to seven to 10 years. <laughs> oh, and I'm
1: sure it's like one in three, you know, <laughs> like I feel like it's rampant. <laughs> um, especially because once you get diagnosed, you're like, all of a sudden, like I was at a sushi restaurant and this girl's like, oh yeah, I have endometriosis too. And I'm like, of course, who doesn't? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and it is nice to know you're not alone because you do feel really alone when you get diagnosed as well. You're like, yeah, vindication. And then you're like, oh, I'm alone. What do I do? Um, and then even with the IVF stuff, like, you know, growing up, you hear all these celebrities have IVF and it's like so easy. And they just, you know, had a baby, you know, one cycle, had a baby at 50. And you're like, oh, okay, I can wait forever. Um, and then you just realize that that's just not how medicine works. And I think the positive thing that came out is a realization that I am in control of my own body and that I need to advocate for myself and kind of become your own doctor. <laughs> so I feel very educated. <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, and it was funny, someone had written me, I think a little while ago, and they're like, why do we have to do our own, like reading? Why do we have to find out our own information? And I was like, well, part of it is that I think that it's a good thing to know what's going on. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, because I think it's important that we know, um, you know, more about the process just to be educated on it. And then that way you can know about it. But um, yeah. I'm like, you, the reality is our system's pretty broken. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like it's supposed to. And so they don't have time to teach you everything. And so we kind of have to teach ourselves, which kind of stinks. But then because both IVF and endometriosis are s- like th- this newer thing, we're trying to learn both of them at the same time. And we're trying yeah. to keep up with everything. And there's all this lingo and everything with both, right? because so many of us have been told like, Oh no, it's okay. And like, no, don't worry about it. No, don't worry about it. And now we feel so strongly about it where, you know, you develop, like you said, the sense of like a strong personality where you feel like you have to be able to say, no, this is what I want. This is what I need. But I I think it's important to do it in a way that um, like fosters a good relationship. Like if you like, Kick in the door and you're like, look, a hole. (laughs) Like, this is what (laughs) I want. This is what we're gonna do. This is this is not gonna be received well at all. Like nobody's gonna respond well to that. But the right person that you talk to, like, hey, look, here's the thing. I've been through all of this. I really think this is the problem. Tell me why or why not we cannot do this, or can do this, or whatever. Or tell me what is the data behind this approach or whatever. And I think if you get a good explanation, either you can put that thought or worry to rest, or you can say, this isn't good enough, I'm going to get another opinion. Yeah. So I, th- I think, like you said, one of the positive things to come out of all of this is that um, a, a lot of us, unfortunately, I guess, indirectly are made a lot more stronger, like personality wise, and we're able to ask more for what we want or need, at least in this space, it may not like spread out to other parts of our lives, but at least in this part of our lives, we feel like we can say, you know what? No, I I think I need more than this. I want to talk more about this. And I remember as I think also too, as you get older, because you run out of time, like you said, mm-hmm. and because you don't have time, you're like, look, I can't come back and do this. So I like, I need to talk about this now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that also forces you. And and I think, you, like you said, too, meeting all these people who have had these experiences to learn from them. I think for for me, both IVF and endometriosis. And fortunately, you and I were able to connect about both. I think it started out with IVF and then then, (laughs) it evolved to include endometriosis after (laughs) I found out. And then, you know, but I think that that's been really great too, is to be able to meet these people from everywhere, like all over the world that you're just like, oh my gosh, me too. Or this is what I'm doing. This is, and to your point, you know, not necessarily like, you know, tell me what I need to do, but share with me what you've done. And then maybe, you know, I can find some value or benefit that I can bring this to my own doctor to try it for myself, particularly when we're trying to figure out what to do. Cause it's hard, like you said, you know, when you hit this point, when you're, Thing about donor egg versus continuing with your own versus just stopping altogether It's a really tough space to be in. And yeah. when we sit and, and are like in this space, it's hard because our stories haven't been written, right? Like we yeah. haven't, we're, we're in the middle of our book. We're not like, so we have no idea what's going to happen in the next few chapters. And that's, it's really hard to make those choices. Um, when you know that there's this part of your biology or physiology that drives your decisions. Like if you had forever, like if we were like guys and could have babies into our 70s, like I feel like (laughs) we could take plenty of time to figure this out, (laughs) figure out if surgeries for us, figure out, do we want to do donor egg or not? Do we, you know, (laughs) like there's like, you would have all this time to like, just really think about it. And then, you know, to think about, you know, child free versus not child free. Am I going to like, when I'm, you know, older and I'm child free or childless, then is that going to bother me? Am I going to be okay? That's such like deep questions to answer in like a year, (laughs) right? Because if you've been going through this for a few years, which you have, right? And now you're no, you have this many years before plus or minus, right? Mm -hmm. Before like you call it good. You have to make these big life altering decisions in the short amount of time. And it's insane to me that like we're stuck with having to do, I don't want to say stuck. Stuck's not the right word, but we are um, burdened Yeah, with these <laughs> with that words. responsibilities.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. these two things that you're going through. Yeah, it is. It's a lot. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think, like you said, finding your right tribe mm-hmm. can be so beneficial because then like... You, like you could share your experiences, and you're like, Well, you know, for me, I really think whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's a good thing. It's hard to like, th- there's no right answer, There, no one has the answer. But I think when you can put a few heads together and talk about pros and cons, that's really helpful. I know there's support groups out there too. Yeah. I don't know if there are any for 40 and over who are dealing with all of these things. Um, I mean, I know I, they I exist. that there
1: is. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know them. Maybe we can start one.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, yeah, so I think it's really important, but yeah. so if anybody has any questions or they want to follow you, how can they find you?
1: Um, I have an Instagram account called, is there an endo to the, <laughs>
0: <laughs> with um, underscores?
1: Yes. With underscores. Uh, my name's Nicole good. And, um, I have quite a few accounts actually. Now that I think of it, this <laughs> is <to look> work. <laughs>
0: Yes. Um, So if they want to talk to you about IVF or endometriosis, this is the best way to reach you.
1: Yeah, I'm an open book. Also, I mean, you can email me, uh, Nicole with an H at uh, getgoodpr.com. That's the email I check mostly Um, because I'm a fun publicist. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm an open book and like, I don't know all the answers. Nobody does. But I'm willing to share what I know and what we have figured out and, and also just be there to lend an ear, you know.
0: Well, I want to thank you for um, coming on today and spending time with us and talking about your experience. I know it's not easy, but I think it's so helpful for so many people, particularly who are struggling with both endometriosis and um, with infertility. And, you know, for us who are over 40, it's always great to hear more stories for you know those of us who are over 40 to say hey okay we're not the only ones trying this we're and we're not the only ones struggling i think in our minds we think like you said like it should be easy even if you're over 40 but when you're struggling with infertility plus endometriosis it can be really hard so thank you so much for spending time with us and thank you so much for being here to share your story i mean thank you for having me i want to thank you for tuning in today i hope you found today's episode helpful If you want a question or topic covered in future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at 40 and infertile. Make sure you hit the subscribe button for alerts and new episodes. And I hope to see you back again soon.